Hello, Here welcome. We yeah. To our online. And search. we're back. Woohoo! It's a new <laughs> year. <laughs> it is. It is, and um, so it feels kind of like forever since the two of us have been on this couch. Yay! And we're so back it's good to be here. back. So thanks for having us. Yeah, and wherever you are, we're excited to be there with you right now. And Pastor Allen is here starting a new series, so we're looking forward to this time together. So here we go. Hey, Christ community, I am so glad to be a part of your spiritual journey today. Um, one of the things we love to do at the start of every year is to begin the year with a fast where we seek the Lord together as a church. Well, this year we're calling this Three Days of Seeking God, and it's going to begin this Monday, January 10th, and go through Wednesday the 12th. So I want to encourage you to consider fasting for all or part of those three days. Usually people fast from food, but you really can fast from anything that's important to you. Um, biblically and scientifically, there is something about fasting from food that enables us to focus more clearly. And so what a powerful way to start this new year by focusing more intently on the Lord, seeking Him and worshiping Him. Um, we put together a prayer guide um, that you can find on our app or um, in using the QR code. We also have a brochure about fasting. Um, now this year, we're going to conclude our fast together with a prayer and worship gathering in our sanctuary on Wednesday night. Um, that will be also be live streamed. Uh, so details are in your newsletter. Uh, man, I encourage you to join us for a time of prayer and worship that this Wednesday evening. Let's, uh, let's seek God together this week and ask him to pour out his spirit in a greater way in our lives and in our church this coming year. Well, today we are beginning a new teaching series. As I mentioned last week, if we were to, if we were to succinctly summarize our, our why as a church, our purpose as a church, that purpose would be to experience life to walk in the fullness of life that Jesus offers us. And so, so what does that mean specifically? Well, for us, um, that life is found in three areas of focus. All things with Christ, which describes this experience of continual intimacy with Jesus. As a thriving family, which is this idea of being connected in healthy relationships. And third, bringing hope to all people. We, we find life in helping bring the hope of Jesus to the world around us. Okay, so for us as a church, we want to grow in all three of those areas. Well, over the past couple of months, our leadership team has been prayerfully seeking the Lord and, and it just asking God, what is specifically on your heart for us as a church this coming year? And what has come to mind again and again is the second part of our purpose statement, as a thriving family. What would it look like for each of us to grow in our experience of relational connectedness? We live in a world where there is this huge irony, huge irony playing out. On one hand, people are more relationally connected than ever before with social media and the internet. And yet on the other hand, there is all sorts of data that's revealing that people are actually feeling more lonely and more disconnected than ever. The whole COVID pandemic has made this reality even worse. I mean, with quarantines and isolation and social distancing and working from home and all that, many people have sort of settled into a more relationally isolated way of living, which is a significant problem because we as humans are created for connection. We are created for relationship. 
It's sort of like removing calcium from our diet. You know, we may initially think it's no big deal, but over time, we will begin to experience physical symptoms of calcium deficiency. And in a similar way, when for whatever reason, relational connections are removed from our lives, we experience a connection deficiency that will have a significant negative impact on our lives. Again, we were, we were created for relational connection. We see this so powerfully in the first page of the Bible, really in Genesis 1, verse 26, God says, let us make mankind in our image. Well, who's the us that God is referring to? Well, God himself. See, from the beginning of the Bible, we see that God exists in relationship, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God in his very being exists in this beautiful, loving, relational connectedness, and he created us in his image. In other words, he created us for this purpose as well. The, the, another way of saying this is the, the only way to truly thrive as a human being is in our being relationally connected with others in a healthy way. Now, what's fascinating to me is that this is not just a truth that we glean from the Bible. It is a truth that is confirmed over and over again in, in the areas of neuroscience and sociology and psychology, even the field of medicine. Study after study over the past several decades are confirming this truth that, that our emotional and physical well-being are significantly impacted by our relational connectedness. Research has shown that people who are part of a close-knit community have a stronger immune system and they live longer on average than people who are emotionally isolated. In fact, one study showed that relational connectedness has a greater impact on health than eating healthy foods. I mean, clearly we are wired for connection. We are created with this need for healthy connections. And without that, it negatively impacts every area of our lives. Which brings us back to this core idea we started with a moment ago. How can we grow in our experience of relational connectedness? Thankfully, we have an amazing resource to help us in this regard, and that resource is the Bible. The God who exists eternally in relationship has given to us this amazing resource to help us experience healthy relational connectedness. In fact, I mean, really, the, the majority of the Bible is focused on relationships. So in this teaching series, we're going to look at a particular passage of Scripture that can be incredibly helpful for us in this area. It's a picture of how God wants people to experience relational connectedness. This passage is found in the book of Acts, chapter 2. The book of Acts takes place after Jesus' ascension, and it describes how the early church got established and how it grew in impact. Well, early on in this book, Jesus makes a promise to his disciples that after he ascends into heaven, he's going to pour out, he's going to give us a very special gift, the gift of his Holy Spirit, who will come to live in us and fill us with the presence of Jesus. So that happens on the day of Pentecost, which was a, a Jewish festival celebrating the harvest. The Spirit comes upon these believers in a very dramatic and powerful way. 
And suddenly a crowd gathers to see what is going on. And one of the disciples, Peter, stands up and preaches to the people this message about Jesus who who died and is now risen and about our need to repent of our sin and turn to Jesus to experience forgiveness in life. And 3,000 people say yes. Okay, so what do these 3,000 new believers in Jesus do? Well, that's what we see in Acts 2. 42 to 47, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So what do these new believers in Jesus do? They form a relationally connected community. This is the first description we have of what the church should look like. It is this place where people are experiencing this beautiful, dynamic, loving, relational connectedness. Now, there's a very familiar word to describe what is happening in this passage. It's the word family. What we see here is a group of people who are now a part of a thriving, healthy family, a spiritual family. You see, this is what God designed the church to be, a place where people can experience true family, healthy relational connections. Now, what makes this uniquely possible in the church is Jesus. See, when we place our trust in Christ, we are at that moment adopted into God's family. God is our father, and we now have lots of brothers and sisters, Now, look, this this is not just religious phraseology. This is actually how God wants us to experience relationships. Regardless of how healthy or unhealthy our biological family is, in Christ, we have another family. We have another context for healthy relational connection. And we see it on display in the passage we just read from Acts chapter 2. So in this passage, we see a number of specific relational practices that enable people to experience healthy relational connection. So each week in this series, we're going to focus on one of those practices and talk about how we can grow, how each one of us can grow in our experience of this kind of relational connectedness. Well, today we're going to talk about what is the critical foundation for healthy connection and for the church to really be a thriving family. It's, it's, it's actually found in the first verse of this passage, the second word. This is what we read again. We read a moment ago. They devoted themselves to fellowship. This word translated devoted is a fascinating word. It's a combination of two words. One is the word towards, and the other is the word endure. So when we put these together, this word describes a tenacity, a commitment towards something, a devotion to. These believers were tenaciously devoted to what? 
Well, the text tells us they devoted themselves to fellowship. This is the Greek word koinonia, which describes a relational connectedness, a close-knit community. Koinonia is not describing a casual acquaintance-type relationship, like being friends on Facebook. No, koinonia is describing a significant relational connection, a spiritual family. So look again at this initial phrase. They devoted themselves to fellowship. In other words, they committed themselves to relational connectedness. There is a relational tenacity that is being described here. These people are saying, look, we are committed to being in these kinds of relationships. We are choosing to devote ourselves to this, to give priority to these relationships. Just later in the passage, we just read that every day they continued to meet in the temple court. See, they are giving priority to relationship. This is a big deal, and it's something we don't often see on display in our culture. I mean, where, honestly, where do we see people who are so relationally committed that they're willing to work through disagreements or difficulties or tension or conflict in, in a healthy way because the relationship is more important than anything else? I mean, really, where, where, do, we, where do we see this? in the realm of politics or the realm of school boards or workplaces or sports teams. I mean, one, one of my um, pet peeves right now is in the realm of college sports. I love watching college football and, and basketball, but it, it's actually becoming less enjoyable for me because of the changes to the transfer portal where now players can just transfer to another program without any penalty. If they don't like something, they can just change schools. Now, I understand the reasoning behind this, but what's happening is that it's creating this environment where there is little incentive to actually work through difficulties, to work through conflict, to talk through struggles. And I feel like this is symptomatic of our culture as a whole. If we disagree with someone, if we have a, a, a difficulty or conflict, it's easier to just bail to remove ourselves from that relationship, to ignore or cancel that person, to change jobs, to change churches or teams or whatever. Um, honestly, this is, this is just the easier route, right? I mean, who, who wants to have a hard conversation? Who, who wants to enter into that tunnel of chaos and try to work through something? It's so much easier to just stop engaging, to just leave, to just change relational environments. But here's the problem. It may be easier, but it's not necessarily healthier because it undermines the very thing that makes relationships work, a commitment to the relationship no matter what. Even when this person disagrees with us or is doing something we don't want them to do or when their personality really irritates us, we are still committed to this relationship. When that commitment is in place, it's like a relational superglue that actually frees us to work through difficulty and to end up with a stronger relationship on the other side. You see, the foundation for deepening relationships is in having a commitment to the relationship to work through whatever challenges we experience, whatever disagreements we have, because in our hearts, we have decided that relationship trumps everything else. 
Now, unfortunately, we live in the midst of a culture where there is a major breakdown in the the nuclear family, where more and more families are being torn apart by differences and conflicts and divorce. And this is where the church, being a family, can be so powerful and so needed in our society today. In a culture where there are so many people carrying relational wounds and rejection from their biological family, imagine the impact of a church that is living like a healthy family, a church that is tenaciously devoted to healthy relational connectedness. I mean, we all long for this kind of relational connectedness. Now, there's an incredibly powerful and beautiful Hebrew word that captures the essence of what we're talking about here. This is a word that you need to know if you don't know it already. It's the Hebrew word hesed, H-E-S-E-D, hesed. It's used 250 times in the Old Testament. What makes this word so fascinating is that there, there really is no one English word that fully captures what this word means. It, it, it's often translated with a combination of words like unfailing love or steadfast love or loving kindness or covenantal love or tender mercy. It is this beautiful word that speaks of who God is and how he loves. God's love for us is a tenacious, gracious, patient, compassionate, committed, steadfast faithful love. It is a super glued love. That's what said is describing. It's describing this significant attachment in a relationship, this very real connection to another person. See, as humans, we are created by God to experience this, this relational attachment. We, we know from scientific studies that when a baby is delighted in by her parents and when she is held by them, a significant attachment occurs. And when those things are missing, like in some orphanages in foreign countries, those children often struggle throughout their lives to attach to people. Our ability to attach to people, to connect to people, has a huge impact on our own well-being. And, and this is where the word has said becomes so important. It's not just describing how God loves us. It also describes how we are to love one another. They devoted themselves to fellowship. They were tenaciously committed to connection. They were cultivating this healthy attachment to other people. This is has said in action. It is a decision we make to place high value on our connection with others. Now, there are a number of examples in the Bible where we see this in action. I think of Ruth and Naomi in the book of Ruth in the Old Testament. Ruth was a foreigner who had married Naomi's son when Naomi and her husband had moved to Moab because of a famine. Now, tragically, both, both Naomi's husband and Ruth's husband died. And so Naomi decided to move back to her hometown, Bethlehem. And she realized she had nothing she could offer her daughter-in-law in terms of food or financial means or whatever. So she encouraged Ruth to go on her own way and to, and to start a new life on her own. But the text tells us that Ruth clung to Naomi and said, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. 
And where you stay, I will stay. That's hesed in action. That's what relational tenacity looks like. It looks like an unwavering commitment to relational connection, even when that means making sacrifices and walking through difficulty. Another example is found in Acts 20, when Paul said goodbye to his church family in Ephesus. Look with me at verse 37. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. What grieved them most was his statement that they would never see his face again. See, here are these believers who are weeping when one of their church family members was leaving. There, was, there, there were obviously deep relational connections in that community. They were, they were family. You know, what, what does it say about the depth of our relational connections in a church family when people can stop coming and no one notices? You know, I think that speaks to the reality that often church is structured so much around large a large worship service that people can attend and not really be relationally connected which goes back to this heartbeat we as a church have. We want to be a thriving family. We want people to be relationally connected beyond simply attending a worship service. And it's not simply what we as a church want. The reality is this is what we all long for. We all long for deepening relational connection. But here's the crux of the issue. While we all long for this, the question is, are we committed to it? Deepening connection with people doesn't just happen automatically. It happens when's there, when there's a tenacious commitment to relationship. When we not only acknowledge this God-given longing in our heart for relationship and our emotional and physical need for relationship, not only that, but then we decide to actually devote ourselves to this, to devote ourselves to relational connection, to make this a priority in our lives. And this friends, is where many of us struggle. Man, this is where I struggle. I know the importance of relational connection. I teach on it. I urge people to embrace it. But here's my reality. Even though I long for deeper relational connection, there's another part of me that resists it. Now, I, I could chalk this up to, you know, being an introvert, but I actually think it's, it's deeper than that. There's a self-absorption, a self-centeredness, some fears as well that I think keep me at times from relationally engaging. It feels more comfortable to stay busy at home or to not make eye contact with people at Walmart or to just keep to myself. I mean, COVID has given all of us an excuse to be more isolated. And for some of us, we've actually enjoyed it. It's enabled us to get stuck in a comfortable place of relational disconnection, but it's not healthy. Again, I find myself living in this, this tension, this, this longing to not feel lonely, and yet there is this inner drive towards what is most comfortable for me. It's why sometimes, if, if I'm honest, sometimes I feel relief or joy when a small group meeting I'm in gets canceled. I'd secretly rather keep working on a sermon or I'd rather stay home that evening and do what? Watch TV? You know, I, mean, I, I don't think I'm alone in this tension. Even those of you who are more extroverted may wrestle with this in, in different ways. Maybe for you, it's easy to be superficially connected to lots of relationships, but you at times secretly wonder, does anyone really know me? 
You have relational connections, but you long for deeper connections. The reality is there are all sorts of barriers that can keep us from pursuing our longing for deepening connection. Busyness, fear of rejection, self-absorption, an addiction to comfort. I mean, there are any number of things that keep us from this. And those are the things we need to honestly face in order for us to make a commitment to relational connection, to, to devote ourselves to this. But here's the good news. I mean, we have the power to change this. We have the ability, you have the ability to move toward connection. Rather than waiting around for someone to text us or to reach out to us, we have the power to move toward deeper connections, to join a small group, to reach out to someone and grab a lunch or a cup of coffee, to invite someone over for dinner. Sure, it feels risky to do this. Well, what if they don't want to hang out? What if they don't reach back out to me? What if I go to the group and I don't like it? Yeah, it, it, absolutely, there's all sorts of risk, but it's worth the risk. I mean, this is what faith looks like, right? <laughs> this is what spiritual growth looks like. Not allowing our, our, our desire for comfort to override our desire and our need for connection. Are you willing to take that step? Are you and I willing? A few weeks ago, I had some time off around Christmas, and I, I was keeping busy doing things I wanted to do, but, but I, I felt sort of empty. And so I did something I, hadn't, I, hadn't, I really hadn't done in a long time. I, I texted a friend to meet for lunch, a non-work-related lunch. I mean, there were some things going on in my life that I just need, I needed a big, I needed a big brother. I, I needed someone to listen and to offer input. And man, that connection felt so good and so needed. Look, I know I need to make that kind of connection a priority in my life, especially when my introverted tendencies lean my heart toward isolation. So what about you? What is your level of relational connectedness right now in your life right now? What's your level of relational connectedness? And is it where you want it to be? If not, I would urge you to just to think about this. What would it look like for you to commit to deeper relational connection, to take the risk, to move beyond comfort toward connection? Maybe it's an email, a phone call, or a text to someone to just get together. Maybe it's a small group to sign up for. What next step is Jesus inviting you to take? Friends, you and I, you were created for relational connection. God never intended that we do this journey on our own. So let's do this together as family. All right, let's pray. So I encourage you as you're watching, I want to encourage you to take a moment. We're going to take a moment of quiet here, and I want you to think about this question. What is God stirring in your heart right now? What is your level of relational connectedness? Is it where you want it to be? And if not, what next step is Jesus inviting you to take? Just allow him to speak to your heart. And as he does, just commit 
that to the Lord. Make that commitment before him. Father, we all acknowledge our need for relational connection and how for many of us, we avoid it. We, we don't give it a priority. We stay busy. We do also whatever. But we don't go deeper in connections with people. And we just acknowledge that, God, we want to be more deeply connected relationally. And so we pray that you would guide us and you would show us how to move towards that in our lives and as a church so that we truly would be this thriving family that you desire us to be, a family where people from outside that aren't apart right now, they see that dynamic and they, or they come and they experience that and they want to know you in that process. And so, Lord, we're, we're praying for this. We pray for our church in this week, this upcoming week, as we are spending some time seeking you, God, we pray that you would meet us and you would hear our prayers and that you would help us be the church and the people that you long for us to be. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, everybody. Oh. Uh, so, so it's time to begin. And um, so it is fun because um, so I often hear of people who, the day on purpose, they just tune in for, for this the conversation. They actually Welcome. come to service here in person and then they're going home and they play this part yeah. to kind of unpack it. So, so I'm I'm kind of excited to unpack it a bit also. That is really um, cool. This idea this idea of has said. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just want to bring this up. Um, how Pastor Alan talks about has said uh, it's this like heart desire craving you were built for it people have to like have it um i also i i think there's this part to to said that that uh, um that people can can pursue it but they have to be honest about their heart desire for it um, be, they can't fabricate has said. So right. Someone can't say, so I'm going to pick out mm-hmm. someone and create has said. for them. Yeah. And I'm coming at it from a standpoint of, so I have tried to do that. I mean, like <laughs> growing up in college, like, so I'm going to create a community of people and I'm going to like create has mm. said. And there's going to be this great community. But it seems to be like there's some sort of secret sauce that the Holy Spirit has (laughs) that if the Holy Spirit didn't um, show up in that or the Mm. Holy Spirit didn't create that or bring it, Mm. it just doesn't happen. And so I'm bringing this up from a standpoint of I'm sure there are a ton of people at home who have said, I have tried hard. Mm. Uh, t- to show up to a group. I tried hard to be, be someone's about accountability partner, but I got c- cut off. So I tried hard friends. to commit. Yeah. Um, so, so, so has 
had ever happened to the mm-hmm. both of you? Have you shown up, said, I'm here, I'm going to be all in, to either have that group of people just fall apart yeah. or somebody say, hey, I don't feel the same thing? Yeah. No, that's so true. Um, I think it's it's definitely, well, I, I think there are many layers, but the first that comes to my mind is the different layers that is in this in this recipe. <laughs> I think this is a very crucial one that maybe we have control of, which is what is my part that I'm playing? Am I just not caring or giving up or not being intentional? That's what I have control over. And that's what I can provide yep. is my intentionality or my love, my pursuit. But then you have no control over the other part mm-hmm. and how committed they are or how in it they are. And then w- when you're talking about it, it made me think of circumstances of life, like the the season of life that I felt the most, the lack of it, the lack of um, friendships, c- tight community and all of that was when I had the babies and it's so hard to manage everything. So there's definitely so many layers, but I think listening to the message, I think what stands out to me is what role can I play in, you know, it it honestly made, makes me think of my mom a lot because she is very much against, it's a, it's a side story here real quick, but she's, uh, very much against throwing things away, just in general. She will like, let's fix it, let's repair it. Oh, it I am you know, the opposite. I'm like, if something's broken, throw it away. No, like, she's like, me. nothing yeah. is disposable. But just her heart posture toward yeah. stuff and things that everything is workable and fixable that translates to to everything and you know her relationships and all. So when you're describing his said, uh-huh. I'm like, man, my mom has this has said to every. Thing living and not living. She's committed to everything. She's like, let's make this work. Wow. I'm devoted to things. Anyway, so That's cool. but it's it just makes me think of this uh personal heart posture that we can have toward. Yeah, I just wonder if too, I was just thinking about God's has said he's disappointed a lot, I'm guessing. Because he's offering <laughs> right. his said yeah. he's offering his said to anyone who wants it. Right. And, being and a lot rejected. of people are like too yeah. And so That's I really wonder good. if part of this journey of the cross, really, of following Jesus, is that it's that place of offering his said, and sometimes people respond to it, and it's glorious, and sometimes it's not what we hope it would be, and sometimes there's total rejection, mm. but I, the call is to keep moving towards it, right? Yeah, that's good. That's really good. It's what you, like you said, there's no guarantee on the, how the person's going to respond, but... We still, like your mom, I think we still, in response to God's has said towards us, let's be people of has said, but we can't control how other people are going to respond to that. Yeah. But when they do respond, then this magic happens, this connection, this, you know, kind of not magic in the sense, but you know what I mean? That this spiritual (laughs) gold happens um, in that relationship because we pursued it. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. It's what you were saying before we started recording, that it's so much about the pursuit rather than... I'm going to show up. I am going to continue to show up and pursue. And the outcome, that that is an important 
I'm going for it. Yeah, it's like that kind I of. I love that because yeah. that's really what was happening in Acts two. I think they devoted themselves to this, and then later it says they continued to meet together in the temple courts. What what is daily? I think. What is that? That's yeah. people showing up for a yeah. relationship and just a commitment to that, even knowing it's going to be messy and all sorts of things. But that call of said that longing for it, I'm going to show up, whether it happens or yeah. not, I'm going to show up and keep pursuing this. Yeah. Yeah, that's really good. And I think another great point you touch is the difficulties that it does happen in every relationship because yep. that's just natural it's human and that special experience of facing whatever conflict or some difficulty in friendship and and working through that and how rewarding yeah. it is uh and mm. the, the fruit of it. And so, you know, it, when you said the word magic, it's funny because in our minds, like, it sounds magical and it's, you know, <laughs> it's a Disney story and it's not, that that's mm. not what we're talking about. It's exactly the opposite. Mm -hmm. It's, no, it is hard. And it's not about being magical and roses. It's about the working, the willingness, the, the strength to work through things, which is hard. It's, it is. I, I was just thinking of Ruth's story. You know, when you think about that, her commitment to Naomi, had there was no guarantee of anything. Right. I mean, Naomi had nothing to offer her. And then they had some hard times. And, you know, there was a that whole story. It ends really well um, for Ruth, which is cool, and Naomi. Um, it's almost the fruit of said, but it didn't happen automatically. And there was wow. no guarantee when Ruth said that, I'm going to... Where you go, I will go. There was no guarantee, but it opened the door. It, it laid a foundation for this, the blessing of said to happen That's later. That's so true. Yeah. What are you thinking? I had, so I was talking to Mariana before this started, about yeah. the story of, of the book of Ruth. And I had like this epiphany. Like I was like, wait a second. The book of, of Ruth, it begins telling the story about Naomi. Naomi, her family, her husband, her sons, and then the, the then the book comes to the end by the city proclaiming that Naomi has a son, and mm. so, so the book of Ruth, the Hebraic trajectory isn't about Ruth and Boaz; it's about mm. Naomi and her coming a full circle and being mm. whole. And so I was just That's like, cool. in my, yeah. yeah, I was like, whoa, wait a second. Like, that was, that was really fun. Um, the value of hardship though, I, I mean like that whole story of the Book of Ruth is about hardship mm -hmm. and the potency and the pregnancy of hardship. Yep. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, some of the the past times that the, the three of us have had, it, it, probably end of, Individually, has been uh, there's been a conflict, there's been a f fight, and both people say I care, so uh -huh. I'm going to show up and hash I'm this engage. out. Engage, yeah. And the outcome of that, right? It is like beautiful and golden compared to I don't care. Right. So why why do you think our culture? Because I I think that's absolutely true, and yep. yet I think our culture is moving the other direction. It's like a I don't want to. If this is hard, I'm just going to bail. I'm going to do something else. You know what I mean? It's an interesting, like, 
I think it's just human. If if something causes pain, then it's probably bad. bad. If yeah. something, so if I'm avoid. hurting, I'm gonna drink. If I'm sad, mm. I'm gonna go to Taco Bell. Like it's <laughs> there's these different things that that like people try to subdue the pain. Yeah. But pain isn't a bad thing. In fact, uh, like pain can actually show us there's something to be had here. There's something to mm. fight for here. And so, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's avoiding the discomfort and the, the hard conversations. I think I recently had a, a situation and I was thinking, I'm, I'm good to have this conversation, but I have no idea where this other person is at and if they're going to be hurt that I'm mm -hmm. bringing this up. You know, it's so many unknowns and You're right. it, it, it's hard. But then it's learning too how to know ourselves, how to communicate in love and, and learning others. I love this idea of, of being learners of people around us and knowing how to I think part of the love is understanding who you are and how can, if a conflict is to happen, how am I going to approach this with you compared to with you? You know, like KJ loves a fight. There's nothing to fear. But... <laughs> no. Because it like draws people closer. <laughs> like it, it's a really beautiful thing, especially in the church context, I think. I, I mean, like, man, the church just fight it out a lot m more than it d does instead of just g going somewhere else. Like, right. um, yeah. uh, like the Hebrew p people are brilliant fighters and debaters and they talk about everything. Yeah, and I love that. Yeah, it's just, <laughs> I crave that. No, I love yeah. that too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I do too. And I think it's, but it's hard for people to go there. Uh, it's just hard to have those conversations. Yeah. I was thinking too, when you were talking about people turning to alcohol, whatever it is, some substance, that someone's saying that the opposite of addiction is connection. Hmm. I can see that, yeah. You know, it's, it's like, or the, or the antidote to addiction is really connection. It's, it's we turn to these other things, you know, as a way to kind of numb the pain. Right. Um, and they, they promise us sort of a false kind of sense of connection or whatever, but they don't provide it. But it's in that even the difficulty of it's moving really towards someone, even mm -hmm. when it's hard, we experience what our soul actually is craving. Yes, that's good. Yeah, no, that's really good. Yeah, I think it's important to be aware too, what are these things? So I think it's easy for us to point point at, oh, you know, those people over there struggling with addiction. Like, what is it that I do? You know, what is it that when I'm struggling or if I'm um, feeling lonely or whatever, I think this, the, the questions that you bring in your message makes me just self, uh, that self-check, you know, uh, if I'm not pursuing relationship, why is it? And try to identify the barriers in my life because it's different. What holds you back? What holds you back? I think there are different elements for each of us. Yeah. But I hear that. I'm, I'm kind of uh -huh. like externally processing yeah, yeah, that. Yeah. Um, so the problem of the, the addictions and things, that, that isn't the problem. It's there's something else. Right. And 
so is the idea that the something else somehow, if someone could like find the thing behind the thing behind the thing, uh -huh. the odds are it's going to be something about has said. Yeah. Right. And so it isn't the addiction is no. holding back has said. It's because of this desire, but it hurts and it's broken and it's I've da 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 da, da that, that I end up here at yep. Taco yeah. Bell having the cinnamon <laughs> things that have the little cream filling. <laughs> That's exactly what I do. Like it's the cream filling ones. Um, yep. Right. But it like somehow goes to man. Yes. I just have the desire to be with people. Yeah. Yeah, I suppose I spoke of two different things. One is the consequence, which yeah. is what you're describing. But then there's, you know, when you're talking about introverts, introverts versus extroverts or whatever, that that's not the consequence. That's how you're wired and the different mm -hmm. ways that you operate. I think I mixed the two things together. Perfect. Sorry, but, but that was really good to look at the thing behind the thing. Yeah, I think I think just reminding people as they're processing it, all of us, that it's I'm pro I process these things in, in a particular way as an introvert, but extroverts have the same. I mean, we're all longing for connection, right. right? And our barriers may be different, right? But we are all longing for connection, and we need you know we need to commit to moving towards that. Mm -hmm. Now, for an extrovert, that may not be mean contacting ten more people. Uh, you know, it's a quantity thing. It's more of a quality thing. Oh, what good. would it look like? you know, to go deeper yep. in a particular relationship. For someone like me, when I can spend a whole vacation at home, you know, puttering around or whatever, um, for me, it means making that phone call or that to reaching out right. and actually giving a priority to that. Mm -hmm. But it, it just trying to figure out prayerfully for each one of us, depending on our wiring, sure. the call is still the same and the longing is still the same. What does it look like to be to be committed, you yeah. know, to that, to really show up and devote ourselves to that. That's really good. I was talking to Michael the other day um, here, and he was saying, think about all the times that you had a very significant uh, God moment. <laughs> what? <laughs> Nothing to God. <laughs> I didn't hear. <laughs> a significant God moment, like a, a significant spiritual yeah. moment in your journey, and it was with people. And it was in a conversation or when you're sharing, you know, the insights right. that we share, the conversations we have or prayers you have together, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And we were just kind of thinking back, you know, of all these conversations and moments and things like in our uh, circle of friends. And it just shed so much light. Like, wow, a lot of times I would think of, you know, the the quiet prayer, which obviously not to, to steal the value of that, but like I think we are blinded to see the powerful communal experiences of God. with Jesus that we have as mm -hmm. I had a togetherness. A, a prof professor in college who he he had this whole theology that the Bible had been composed to be experienced in a com community. community. He was big on that. Like it's a dangerous thing to do it by, by yourself. yourself. Yep. That the Bible was supposed to be in community, and so was the experience of God. That's cool. I, 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 and like, 
but, but I totally forgot about it, so I haven't really thought a whole lot about that until uh-huh. you brought that up, mm-hmm. that God desires to be experienced by a community of people. Mm-hmm. But it's so easy to have the solo experience and then to cut off the community. Yep. Mm-hmm. And to believe the lie that we don't need that or it's right. not important. And that brings us back to the value of the family there and the go. church. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like that's, yeah. Cool. So fun. Yeah. Okay. That's it. Well, that's all we got. <laughs> that's good. Yeah. Thank that's you fun. guys for joining this yep. conversation and have a good rest of your day. Thanks.